0: You're listening to the Redemption Church podcast as we go through a study of the book of Galatians in a series called Living by Grace. We hope you're encouraged and blessed by today's message. Uh, we're doing a series called Living by Grace. So I normally would say, turn your Bibles to Galatians, which you still can, and you're welcome to. If it's a Bible we gave you, it's page 972. But as Pastor Robin mentioned, we actually have a journal Bible for you, because I'm praying through this series, not only God would touch your heart, but as He speaks to you, you would write it down. You would apply God's grace and revelation as we dig into His Word together. And it's going to take, I don't know, maybe around 15 messages to get through this book. It will go until the summer. Um, at least the beginning of the summer. And my whole goal here uh, as a Bible teacher is to simply teach the Bible simply. And so what we love to do is just literally walk through Scripture, open up the Word of God, read it, study it, meditate on it, read it again, give application. It's really an inductive Bible study method um, where you're going to see not only words that are anointed to speak to you in a public setting, but hopefully an example for even how to read the Bible, to cross-reference, to get illustration, to ask God to speak to us uh, through His Word. And we want you to be men and women of not uh, only the Word one day a week, but every day of the week as we constantly are going to God's word, asking him for, uh, for truth, for revelation, writing things down, applying it to our heart, growing and loving accountability and community. Um, it is a great, a great thing to have the living God actually minister to us and speak to us. And so uh, Galatians is going to be a great series. It is going to be great. And I trust that God's spirit is going to use his word to mature you, to grow your faith um, and just speak to us. And so I'm glad to be able to give out those pins, those journals for you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this, this book and we'll, we'll jump in the context. You can just come week after week and know that, uh, I'll, I'll try to clarify and give you some things. So let's, let's start with this, a few commentative thoughts and outline of just sort of the big grand picture of this simple six chapter book, letter, epistle, Chuck Swindoll, one of the commentaries I'm reading, he says this about this amazing epistle. Galatians is the most personal, in-your-face, no-holds-bar writing of Paul's passionate pen. Frankly, it reads more like a declaration of war. Paul had heard that the Galatian Christians were in danger of falling away from the true gospel of grace by turning to the illegalistic approach to salvation and the Christian life. And Paul's simple but profound response to this is this. Not only is the sinner saved by grace but the saved sinner also lives by grace. I am praying, why I'm calling this series Living by Grace, I am praying that God would wrap your mind and your heart around this idea of what grace actually is. Undeserved, unmerited favor. As we'll dive deeper how God displayed God's riches at Christ's expense to pour out his love and his blessing to you through grace, he asks actually for you and cares for humanity. And it's so beautiful to see, and this is one of Paul's sort of declaration, stand on the hill, I'm going to die on this point. The gospel gives, it's a gospel that is of grace. You don't earn it, you receive it. Well, another commentator, David Platt, Tony Murda, in the Christ-centered commentary, they say this, letters are a little bit bigger for you to read. Galatians is a book, that was written specifically to counter legalism and to address the centrality of grace in the church. That word centrality, everything wraps around grace. How does grace wrap churches in the mindset of as we gather? Galatians gives us a picture of grace that is both good and glorious. This is my prayer. I wrote it down. I prayed for you that through revelation of the Holy Spirit, you will have a deeper understanding of God's grace for you and your life that you will know that you are unconditionally loved by the creator of the universe and it isn't based off of anything that you do but who this wonderful god is and based on this grace you will respond appropriately with worship when we understand god's grace for our lives in his gospel the only appropriate response is worship not worshiping or doing something to earn god's love but out of that love living and having your life changed. One last commentator, late Tim Keller, in his commentary, Galatians for You, he says Galatians is all about the gospel. The gospel all of us need throughout all of our lives. Keller is famously known for um, preaching and emphasizing the application of the gospel Uh, to believers' lives. And he had this life work, really, that he's known in church planning and in the church world for the gospel is for all Christians all of their life. That we are desperately wicked beyond we ever could think, but yet God's grace is greater than we ever could think. And he covers it. He famously has this quote, The gospel is not merely the ABCs to our salvation or our faith or the kingdom, but it's rather the A through Z to our faith. We have a filter, a lens through this gospel that reveals God and it should transform how we live our life here and now. It's not just something you respond to for salvation, which it is, but you are transformed through the gospel and the character of God every single day, even as a Christian. And so we don't just start with the gospel and move on to deeper and better things. We now have a lens of the gospel, like sunglasses and how we see the world. And the implications of this one gospel is huge. And that's what I want to focus on through this book. What are the implications of it? First off, what is the gospel? But how do you actually apply the gospel in your marriage, in your parenting, with your finances, your sexuality, your friendships, the body of Christ? Paul addresses this in such a beautiful, deep way. So a couple of questions for you to just ponder and think as we go through this book or even set it up. How does God's grace affect our everyday lives. And I use that often, all the time, everyday stuff of life. Like not in the highs or even on a Sunday, on our finest, but in our lows, when we get upset and maybe sin in our anger. How, How does the gospel affect, how do we practically apply the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news of Jesus Christ to our job, to our friendships, These are questions that the the believer needs to grow in and grow in the gospel. Colossians, Paul would actually say you can grow in your understanding and knowledge of the gospel and how you actually apply it in your everyday life. And the way that I see it or explain it is the gospel is like a beautiful diamond. And, And there's only one gospel or one diamond, but as you bring it up to the light and sort of twist it around, there are multiple rays coming through that and great implications of that great gospel. In fact, Chuck Swindoll said the book of Galatians sparkles like a multifaceted gem. So when we talk about the gospel, we're not going to change the message. But how is that apply, applied in the 21st century when we have a, a computer in our pocket? The Bible doesn't say that, but there are many implications. How, how, do you, how do you actually go about, how does the gospel affect our voting and talking to opposite parties in 2024? There's implications of this gospel. And so, if I could give you three words for this book, I would sort of give us an outline. This is where you can start writing notes if you like. Okay? Outline for the book. Three words. Gospel, the law, the spirit. These words are going to be done over and over and over. They're going to be repeated over and over and over and over again. Now, the gospel is repeated throughout the book. And in chapters 1 and 2, this gospel, this... Now, you can just go back to the gospel, the slide. uh, The gospel in chapters 1 and 2, it's this... Paul confirming what the truth is. He just wants you to know he's going to defend. He's going to declare it. It's for us to know. And, And he explains that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the one and true gospel and there is no other. Even if an angel comes and declares another gospel, there is no other gospel than the one that was declared to you. Now, this Greek word gospel, uh, it would be used to describe a favorable report of a messenger from the battlefield. Or it would be an announcement of an official proclamation that the heir of the king has been born. It is a proclamation, a declaration. And this is so important even to start off fundamentally. We have to understand this. That the gospel is a favorable report about our King Jesus, an heir to God, God's Son, who won a great battle, defeated sin, Satan, and death. This is not something that you're working towards, or thinking about. It's something that's been accomplished. It's a proclamation. This is why we say we herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something that has happened, and God wants us to understand what has happened. One commentator said the good news that Paul proclaimed concerning about Jesus Christ's death for sin and the resurrection as well as salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Christ has conquered sin and death and through him God now offers new life. That is a mouthful and that's why we're taking a few messages to get through this stuff because it is so beautiful of the implications. So Paul in chapters 1 and 2 he's confirming He's proclaiming this gospel. But then we see this word law. Nope, still on the same slide. (laughs) We're going to get there. That's like the summary thing. I told him, I go, I'm going to mess with you in these slides, man. It's going to be like 10 minutes on this one slide. Law, okay? There's gospel, good news, chapter 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4, he's going to be talking about the law. And he's going to say this law, this law This law, he's referring to the Mosaic law, the code of conduct directly given by Moses by God. We should all know that because we just studied Exodus. okay? And he says this word law, our code of conduct, our rules, 30 times in this book. Over 30 times, he mentions this word law. Paul had this huge view of the law and he argues its function in our life. He understands and says there's a purpose for the gospel, but there's also a purpose for the law and a code of conduct. And God has given us something holy, but it will not save you. This law does not save you, but it, also, but it should reveal to you your need for salvation and God's grace. Because we're living by grace. So the law has to show you you need grace. See, what ended up happening is this group called the Judaizers had come into this region after Paul had left he was preaching the gospel, planning the churches, and they were coming and preaching a message of the law. Uh, these were new converts. Not only did they receive Jesus, but now these Judaizers were teaching, you need not only receive Jesus, but you also need to follow the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law to be saved. It wasn't mentality that these false teachers were teaching. It's a Jesus plus, you name it. And we're going to get into that. This is what's known in the church today as legalism. You may have heard that before. Those that want to obtain righteous through their own works or efforts. And notice how a legalist or a Judaizer or this false teacher does not deny Jesus, but they add to something Jesus has already done. You can't add to something that's already taken place. This is why he establishes the gospel as an announcement. It's already finished. So why are you trying to add? Let me show you what the purpose of the law, the code of conduct, is. And he literally says, Jesus plus any works mentality is terrible and damnable. That's how passionate. This is why it's a declaration, a war cry, and he's going to get to the heart of how damaging this thought is. I like to define legalist or legalism, right? as a works-based righteousness. Because he's going to clarify there's nothing wrong with doing good works and your faith should have works. But if you are doing works to prove your righteousness, then that is a damnable approach and it's going to cause you pain and wreck your faith. And Paul's going to fight for that. You don't rely on the law. You rely on grace, on the gospel. And so they believed Doing the right thing gives them favor with God, but the Bible says that's not grace. Grace is undeserved, and if you did something to earn grace, Romans eleven six, then it ain't grace. So Paul wants you to so you need to live by this, not understand these truths. So chapters three and four, bro, he hits it hard, and he says we we do righteous acts, we obey the law in response to God's favor, to God's grace, not to earn it. So So Paul, in the first two chapters, he's declaring this truth. He's proclaiming the gospel. And then in chapter 3 and 4, he actually defends the superiority uh, of the gospel, the preeminence of the gospel. He's saying it's better than the law. It's greater than your efforts. You can't earn it. The The sufficiency of faith in Jesus alone versus the uselessness of your works of the law. And this is huge to understand because if not understood clearly, it could really skew our view of who God is and his goodness, love, and favor towards our life. And many in the church today, they struggle with this. And we're going to address it. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says. I don't have the quote on the screen. I will have it next week. But he says, Legalism always involves man-made rules and regulations. Enforced through guilt and shame. For legalists, legalist, God seems like a severe judge ready to pounce at every infraction. Or he seems like a stern teacher eager to point out every mistake. Or a strict father whose standards we can never live up to. And Paul says this mindset is damaging for our soul. You gotta live by grace, you gotta know it. And the way that you're gonna live by grace is through the power of the Spirit. Numa. It's the Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned all over this book. And in chapters 5 and 6, don't go there yet. <laughs> he says it over and over again. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that one has revelation of grace. Freedom from the bondage of sin. And empowerment to live the light that God has for them. In this letter, this short letter, he says the Spirit works miracles, Galatians 3.5. He says the Spirit grants believers adoptions as sons of God, Galatians 4.6. He says the Spirit gives hope to us as believers, Galatians 5.5. 5. He says it imparts new desires in contrast to the faith, the flesh, Galatians 5.17. And of course, it is in this book that we have famously mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. You know the fruit of the Spirit? I love His patience. Our fruit of the spirit is uh, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most people don't know the difference or the end of that sentence in that verse. It says, and against such things, there is no law. Why? Because he's making a case, gospel, law, spirit. And he's trying to, this is why Paul argues in chapters 5 and 6 that the power of the Spirit in the Christian life is far greater than the the weakness of our flesh and our own effort. He would tell the church in Corinth, you are literally free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. He says in 5.18, be led by the Spirit. There is a a swift, this is like a condensed version of Romans where he is getting to the heart of grace, how we are to rely on God's spirit and his grace for our sanctification, our rightness with God, our right standing with God, not on our own abilities, our efforts. So in chapters 5 and 6, he's about living the freedom of the gospel. Now, if you didn't write any notes down, here's your slide. Now you can flip it. Galatians 1 and 2, gospel. Yeah, here we go, here we go. Okay? Confirming the truth of the gospel. Galatians 3 through 4, the law. Defending the superiority. That's a hard word for me to say with my um, Invisalign buttons, okay? Superiority of the gospel. Galatians 5 and 6, the spirit living in the freedom of the gospel. It's a very gospel-centric, good news declaration of what Jesus has done and who he is and the heart of God to have us affect our everyday stuff of life. You'll hear me say this over and over and over again. Grace is the way to life and the way of life for a Christian. To be a Christian, you have to have grace. Grace is the way to life, but it is the way of life. This is what this book is all about. And Paul is defending this truth because people are coming in and teaching a heresy, a false concept of who God is. And this is why it's so important to be in God's word because there are people today that preach false prophecy, false doctrine of demons and get you to think that you can add to what Jesus has done. And Paul would declare a war cry. Nope, ain't going to happen. God deserves the glory. And this just isn't an outline form. Because in chapter 1, which we're going to get into, Paul gives an example of the power of God's grace in the gospel through himself. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul gives this example of himself as he sort of greets the church and identifies himself as the author. And many times he would do this in many books, but we're just going to cover verses 1 through 5 because we're already halfway through the message. Wow, okay? But we're going to get into it. Paul would say this to this church. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm calling this message the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. We've already gone through and been studying it and thinking about the overall view, but tonight I want to narrow in and just give you with the last moments of our time together how grace not only affects a great theological view of God, and have powerful doctrine, but how does it affect people's lives? How does it affect someone like your life? And the answer is it can transform your life. And Paul, by him identifying some of his language just in this first opening announcement, is not just a simple Greek greeting to identify who he is, but he's trying to strategically show you that Jesus is the king, and, and it's worth him having Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So before we get into it, let's just pray real quick. Jesus, as we did an overview of your word and what Paul wrote in Scripture, we just pray right now by the power of the Spirit that you would give that revelation of grace. As much as I can articulate and share with words, I pray that there would be an impartation of just grace, of favor, of love, of truth, that we would have a clear understanding of what the gospel is and how to live that out. Just from the very beginning of this series, that we would be so excited for your grace in our life, where we know that grace transforms, and we pray that that grace would transform us, and we pray we would declare this grace to the world. It's in your name we pray Jesus. Amen. Amen. Revelation 12:11 says, "We overcome by the blood of the Lamb." And the word of our testimony. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our, something God does, but then there's something that touches our hearts that we declare. Our personal faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross is powerful. And it matters. As we receive salvation by grace alone through faith alone, it actually transforms our hearts. It transforms our lives. The experience of God's grace and the work that he did on the cross is powerful not only for us, but for the world, for others. In fact, Jesus would tell us and share to his disciples that his interactions with them would be so powerful that their main role would be to be witnesses of his great power. That they would experience his love, his grace, and and that this this blood of the lamb would cover them and it would affect their actual life to have a testimony and experience a transformation, a regeneration of being born again spiritually alive through him. It would dramatically change everything about you. And as Paul is identifying himself as the author of this letter, he's talking through the amazing doctrine of this living by grace. But he's also starting off by just saying that grace works. Grace works for real people like myself, Paul, an apostle. I wonder if he smiled at that, smirked at that. Because he understood that sinners were saved by grace, that the elect, the community, the the church is a group of people saved by grace, and he would call himself the chief sinner. And in order for us to know how significant the doctrine of grace is and the power of this letter, we must connect Paul's story in a personal way to the doctrine of grace. Because seeing the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and how it transforms a life gives us a testimony. So I want to walk a little bit with you through the book of Acts to share Paul's testimony with you of how grace played out in his life because he says, I'm an apostle, not from man. My authority does not come from man, nor uh, through man, uh, but through Jesus Christ, the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead and the brothers who were with me. He seems to have an experiential authority. And he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm writing this to you, not based off of what I've done, but what God has given me and the authority and the power and the strength that he does. Because the first time we see Paul in Scripture, his name isn't Paul. If you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 9. And we'll actually start with Acts chapter 8. It's page 917 in the Bible that we gave you. And your smartphone, it's a New Testament letter. The reason I'm going to have you there because I want to go just sort of walk you through the narrative of the actual doctrine of grace through a life. The first time we see Paul, his name is Saul. In Acts chapter 8, we see the first Christian martyr. And the Bible says that Paul approved of this execution. Other texts say he would actually be holding the jackets of those that would be stoning a guy named Stephen. And there was great persecution amongst the church, which had just been born. But Saul was actually a zealous Pharisee. And the text says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that he was breathing threat and murder against the disciples of the Lord. In fact, after it says that he approved of Stephen's murder, he actually not only approved, but he went forward in that zealous life to go against the way or the church. In verse 3 of chapter 8, it says that, that raging he was raging against the church, entering from house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He wasn't just like, I'm against the church. He was like, I'm against the church. He got letters to actually hurt and harm the church. He will actually self-identify and share his testimony in this letter. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former life in, Ju- in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. These weren't just simple words to make a big, awesome point. This was actually his life. This is the trajectory. This is the history. This was where he was going. And now he's writing as an apostle and saying, I'm an apostle, not by men, but by God. He's writing truth to edify the church. You have to, that's weird. He wanted to destroy it, the text says, and now he wants to build it up. That's what scripture does to you. Build your faith. It's edifying. It's, he's using a gift now. What happened? Well, in Acts chapter 9, he experiences Jesus and his grace the gospel of grace he would say this is when he radically gets transformed by god's grace on the road of damascus it's it's what sometimes christians call a damascus moment and so i just want to read acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 20 and i have you read along because i think sometimes hearing it from people People's account and the testimony they have is powerful. And Paul would actually share this story not only in Acts chapter 9, but Luke would actually write it again in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. Verse 3 says, Now as he went on his way, speaking of Paul, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarshish, this is where Saul was from, named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil has done, has, has he, he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. So there was a reputation. This was real. And here in verse 14, he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, speaking of Ananias, Go, for Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking foot, sorry, taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples of Damascus, and listen. and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Man, just sometimes don't underestimate the power of just reading Scripture. And we should be a people that read Scripture, that know Scripture. When Paul says, not by man, but God, our hearts and our minds should go to this transformation. One that breathed threats on the church. And Jesus would come to him and say, you have this unique thing and calling that I'm going to give you. And this unique calling was one even to go to the Gentiles as an apostle, but it was one of suffering. And he started preaching Jesus immediately, verse 20. It was a radical, amazing transformation. Why? Because of God's grace. Paul wasn't looking for it. He wasn't going after it. Jesus came to him. Who are you, Lord? And although the scales were renewed from his eyes immediately, I want you to notice it took time to have him grow in the grace of God and mature. Acts chapter 9, verse 30, the story continues and tells us Paul went back to Tarshish. Remember, there's a man... Named, from Tarsus, named Saul. He goes back there. Galatians one twenty one tells us that this was the region of Syria or Sicily, these areas that Paul was from, Tarshish, uh, which teaches us that we're not only saved by grace, but we need a growing grace. Paul would address this. Peter would address this. Just because you're declared righteous doesn't mean necessarily you have your identity and your calling and you need to walk in that identity and calling by faith and you mature and you grow. And justification is the declaration that you are right before God, but sanctification is that process where you learn and you grow in God's grace. And although Paul had this great calling, he was still Saul, had to go back to Tarshish, learn, grow in the grace of God, to learn what it meant to be apostolic and to plant churches and to do all this stuff. But just because he had a calling didn't mean he was ready for it. He had to mature. Don't don't be so hard on yourself if you understand grace, if you're declared righteous, but you need to grow and mature in grace. And there's grace for you in your growth. The Bible says that what he started, he, he, he'll finish. That he'll give you grace to be sanctified. And he'll even give you grace to be glorified and have a resurrected body. It's all the grace of God. And so how do we apply this life of sanctification by God's grace? We see that is found in Paul because he doesn't just start with an immediate calling. He starts preaching and they're like, hold up. You need to go and mature. Go to the desert. Go out there. So he goes to this region off of Syria and in Acts chapter 11, we later see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, go to Tarshish, the text says, and he starts looking for this guy named Saul. It had been some years. He found him and he brought him back to Antioch. In, in chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, it says, for a whole year they uh, met with the church and taught a great many of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Paul was about to be used in great ways, but first he had to get mature. Barnabas says, it's time. God told me to go get you. Come back and do some work. And Saul now is growing in this grace. Other believers like Barnabas and the church played a huge role in his growth. He was out in the desert, in the wilderness growing. And what ended up happening is Barnabas went to go see him. I just want to remind you in your own faith, you will grow in God's grace through community. You need the church. You need people in their gifting and their discipleship. Barnabas went to this apostle and this great calling and he brought him and said, come along. We need great men, women of faith to say, come along. You grow through loving accountability. This is not a prideful thing like, I don't need the church. I don't need to come. No, you really don't, but you're going to stumble and have a hard time because you're going to be effective, more effective with people around you. When Barnabas was with Saul, They were blowing it up. It says they take the word people. And this is where they first got the word Christians. So Acts chapter 13, the story continues. God's grace in Paul's life. Verses one through three tell us that this church in Antioch, they were worshiping and fasting. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, speaking of Saul and Barnabas, and they sent them off. This is known as Paul's first missionary journey, where he would be going and preaching the gospel, planning churches. Many of you recently know that I went to Paul's Footsteps of Paul tour, and I saw all these places Paul went to preach. That was the second tour, our journey of his uh, calling. The first journey, well, I got a map for you. I'm like into maths now. I'm like, I've been over here. Okay, that's good. Antioch, starting point to the right, right over by Syria. He would go into three specific regions in his first missionary journey and his growth of this apostolic authority. Acts chapter 13 and 14 describe this first journey through these providences. The first is Cyprus, and it's this island area. Okay, he would go and take a sailboat through there. You could read about it. Then he would go up to the southern part of um, look at that. There's sleek, all these places, man, it's amazing. This is also known as Asia Minor, this area. But he would go there uh, from Paphimia, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but it's right off the coast. Pamphylia, Lycia, Perga, all these places with a "us." It's amazing. They're real. But then he would go up a little bit more northern to Galatia. Now, what you need to understand is this area of Galatia included cities like a different Antioch, Pisidium Antioch. It was actually a huge primary Roman city, very large uh, in that area, the primary city there, Iconium, Lystra, Derbia. When we talk about to the church of Galatia, it isn't one church. It's more of a region or province. Why is this important? Because multiple churches need to hear the message of grace. Multiple areas, multiple regions need to hear about it. it wasn't just, oh, this is infiltrating on this one city. And oh, look at them. They can't believe they can get grace. Nope, nope, nope. Multiple people struggle with this doctrine of grace. He's addressing this because it's all now in this whole region of all these different churches. And by God's grace, Paul saw God work. Acts 13, 14, it says, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region because he was living by grace, this apostolic authority, and preaching the word of God. And he would say in Acts 14, 3, it was the word of grace. That's what he was preaching. This word of grace to this region, and transformed lives were happening, churches were being planted. You can read about how the work and all this stuff is happening. It was exciting and fruitful. And let me just remind us, the gospel of grace is exciting and fruitful. Don't ever be discouraged or just think that there's more revelation than the grace of God for you, for the love of God for people, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the second coming of Jesus, for being born again through faith alone. Like the power of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save. What, what, what other things do we have to declare besides who God is through his word? And so in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, they return back to Antioch. That's the, the little, oh, look at that blue line coming back, okay? They, they go back to Antioch. They give a report to the church and they rejoice. And they remain back in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. It's exciting. It's amazing. But here's what I want you to see. Even in this missionary journey, there was great opposition to the message of the gospel. There's great opposition to the message of grace. Do you think that Satan wants you to just be forgiven fully? You were made in the image of God. And he tore that image and broke that image because of sin and marred it. But he wants you to defame the glory of God. But you were an image bearer. And God could renew that and give you grace and restore. And the enemy wants to give you false things. About who God is and the doctrine of demons, the Bible would say, to have you buy into a lie. So Acts chapter 14, verse 19, you know what it says? This guy now who converted by God's grace from Saul to Paul. Yeah, he got stoned. He literally got stoned. it was so it was so bad. There was so much danger. There was a guy named John Mark that Barnabas and Paul took on this trip. In Acts chapter 13, it says that John Mark came to assist them in Acts chapter 13 verse 5 in Acts chapter 13 verse 13 it says John Mark dipped <laughs> he left he was gone why cuz he was afraid cuz there was opposition it was hard so he just left this would be a later problem in the second missionary journey so after Paul and Barnabas left the region they went back to Antioch they were rejoicing but another group came in to oppos- to 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 oppose the judaizers came in they to preach another gospel a gospel of Jesus plus the law acts chapter 15 verse 1 summarizes what their doctrine was it says but some men came down from judah and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved they're not denying jesus But they're saying you have to do something to add to Jesus' work. A works-based righteousness. And the crazy thing is, in this region, the Galatians, they listened and embraced this message. Paul would say in Galatians 5.4, you have fallen away from grace. This should be a warning for all of us. So Paul is now writing to them in response. Remember he said, I'm an apostle, not by... Men, but by God. In verse 3, he would say to the churches of Galatia, to all of y'all, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now this book is to believe the first book that Paul ever wrote. It was right after his missionary journey, right before the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, around 48, 47, 49 AD. He would later write 13 other books to follow up his ministry, a scripture and instruction to edify the church. And we call these letters scripture, inspired by God himself, teaching us, correcting us, reproofing us, training us in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, uh, complete equipped for every good work, he would tell Timothy. And I want you to understand this because as we come into a narrative and a story we have to understand this narrative and story is actually inspired by God and it's scripture. It's holy. It's something not just for Galatia, but for us. Peter would acknowledge this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he would say, As our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in that they are hard to understand. Thank God that Peter acknowledges sometimes understand Scripture is hard. But he says, some of the things that Paul like writes, they are hard, but they're truthful. You could bank on them. He says, which the ignorant, the un- un- uh, unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other Scriptures. This is important for you to understand because Peter is actually acknowledging the weight and wisdom that God gave Paul and the apostolic authority for him to write this letter is like the other scriptures. It's hard to understand, but people are twisting this scripture. And Peter places Paul's letters as wisdom, but as an equal balance as other scripture, acknowledging his apostolic authority to speak on behalf of God for the church but also acknowledges that there were false teachers that twist scripture. And that this is what was happening after Paul was preaching. There was a false gospel. False teachers were coming in and questioning Paul's authority. And this is why it's so personal in this letter because Paul is going to establish and give you a huge testimony of his authority and his life because people are just basically saying, forget Paul, don't listen to him. Who is he? He's weak in strength. He doesn't talk like this. He doesn't do this he's trying to tell us no my authority is by Jesus the Father and the message he's given and so Paul would address the gospel of grace in this letter to these false teachers because he knows the power of grace which leads to life and he says in Galatians 6 8, but the power of the flesh well it leads to corruption I'm so glad that God can articulate his truth through this means of grace You ever think about the Bible as a means of grace to us? Like we have a lot of opinions in this room and in this country and in this world. But God's word is the final authority. And so verse 4 and 5, the apostle Paul gives you this testimony. And he explains the simple but powerful gospel. And he's going to do this over and over again in different ways. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4 and 5 who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and the Father, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is good news. Paul is saying Jesus saves sinners. This is what it means. People like Paul, people like the Galatians, people like me and you need to hear this. Jesus rescues us from the penalty of sin. For the death of Jesus Christ was about a perfect God bearing our sin and giving us his righteousness by grace. The New Testament teaches that this Christ's death was a sin offering. The only way by which sins can be forgiven and actually cast away, put away, are forgiven. Paul would write in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, something you can't earn, it's a gift, and then he says it's free. It's free. It's like double adjective over there. Just double grace, free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this Jesus, he died, but he rose again and he brings for all of us life and declaration of freedom and his spirit for all who believe in this work. Paul would write in Romans 10, verse nine, that if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and was risen or rose from the grave, you will also be saved. For he delivers us, Paul says in this intro, from the present evil. That means he promises to renew all things in where he will make a new heaven and a new earth and rule and reign righteously for all eternity. Just as God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he promises to raise us up as well and give us eternal life, making what the Bible says a new humanity by grace. One that is spiritually born again or alive because the Bible says in our sin, our trespasses, we are all dead. We may have physical bodies, but spiritually we are dead without Christ. And you can't do a good work to become alive. The only way that you are alive is through the work of Jesus Christ making you alive, giving you that grace by believing in the son of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So Paul would write to another letter, another church, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own efforts or in your own doing, but no, it's God. That's why we all boast in him. That's why the church is about him, not a personality, not a preacher, because he even says, now it's to him, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the gospel. This is his actual letter of a real person testifying because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb the work of God but the word of our testimony. Faith in that. It transforms real people like you and me and Paul is just identifying, sharing, and he's about to start blasting these false teachers because this grace of salvation is according to the will of God, the Father. Not our own efforts, but God's grace. His great and finished work and Paul is going to testify of this and now he's going to teach this. Paul wants us to know that this gospel of grace transforms his life and the life of others. And this is worth writing. This is worth defending for. This is worth proclaiming. This message of grace. So we have this letter to teach us to live by this message, the gospel, this important grace from God that Jesus saves sinners. I'll finish with this. John Stott says this, Another commentary to I'll be looking at. I told, man, I told, I mean, you can go to Philip Yancey. You can go to Chuck Smith. You can go to so many other, do you know how many books have been written on the grace of God? This is just going to be amazing, okay? Uh, but John Stott, he wrote this book, our, a commentary on this, on this letter, and I was reading it, and I was touched by this. He says, once we have seen that Christ gave himself for our sins. That's what Paul says in that letter. He gave himself for our sins. He, he's the full atonement. He's died. We realize that we are sinners unable to save ourselves and we give up trusting in ourselves that we are righteous. We have to see God for who he is so we can actually see who we are. Oftentimes a works-based thing, we're just comparing one another. Oh, I'm better than them. Oh, they're they're down by me. And our eyes are all on one another and it creates conflict. But our eyes need to be on Christ and it frees our hearts. And the Spirit of God empowers us to see Jesus, behold him, and become like him. And so, my prayer is that as we embrace grace, the grace of God personally in our lives, like Paul did, we'll actually see that the grace of God is a way of life that we can actually embrace and live by this grace. We are saved by grace, it's how we receive eternal life, but it's also how we live this life. Jesus said, eternal life doesn't just start over there in heaven. If you know the Son, eternal life starts now. So we need grace now. And we're going to need grace in the end when we give an account to God. He'll judge the living and the dead. He's coming back, rule and reign. And He's the only way that we can be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your gospel. Lord, we declare this. We invite people to this message. I thank you, God, that people can respond by faith. Even thinking about the message online or even in this room. That if you are in need of forgiveness, the Bible says that you can declare that Jesus is your Lord and you can be saved. You can call upon the name of the Lord and Jesus said he will cast no one away. And if that's you, you just say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Forgive me, my sin. I believe Jesus to die for my sin and I need this God to forgive me. And the beautiful news of this gospel is he forgives. God, we thank you you forgive. We thank you, Lord, that, that we're a community of sinners saved by grace. We thank you that the gospel produces fruit in our lives, transformation. We pray, Lord, that we would see how effective and fruitful it is in our lives, that we would have boldness to declare this, to proclaim this, to praise you, God. It's not just a doctrine, but it's teaching us theology of who God is. And you are a God of love, of mercy, that is right. You're slow to anger. You're quick to forgive. God, you love. And we just thank you, God, that you loved us. You granted us grace. You've given us a heart of flesh, one that can actually worship you and know you. We thank you for imparting the spirit of God to us, living inside of us, empowering us. There's so many things to be thankful for, but we just continue to say, man, be glorified. Be glorified in us and through us. We thank you for this journey of walking down this path of learning what the gospel is. We continue to pray for that, that we would understand your righteousness, your holiness, That we would live for you and honor you and worship you. And we just pray for the renewing of our mind as we continue to go over and over again at this great letter, this message that we are to live by grace. And so we thank you, God. We love you, we honor you. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.